Welcome to this edition of Church and State, the podcast where we discuss topics on the subjects of church and government in America. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Church and State. It's been another fascinating week in the world of news. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm telling you, the news gets crazier and crazier every day. Just makes you want to turn off your TV and go outside in the sunshine. Except it keeps snowing, so <laughs> it's a little hard. <laughs> I'm ready for gardening season. Me too. Then I can ignore the news and just go dig in the dirt. That sounds like a good idea. You can go out there and gather eggs with the chickens. There you go. After the chickens lay them. Go hang out with the chickens because yeah. the chickens are more intelligent than most of our <laughs> political... Uh, leadership, I'll call them. Even though they don't lead us, they just stumble around and drive us nuts. Oh, I. Oh, I. Oh, I. And speaking of political ideas that drive us nuts, our topic for today is the Electoral College and is it really necessary? All right. Well, let's get started. All right. So... The big push has been, especially since Trump won, has been to uh, get rid of the Electoral College. And it's been, this idea has been around, well, pretty much since the Electoral College was put in place. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always people who don't like the system because they didn't win. And so they want to change the system so that they can win. But they only seem to want to change it when they lose. <laughs> well, of course. You know, if they win, then the system works perfectly. But if they lose, well, something's wrong with this thing and we got to fix it, right? Right. And unfortunately, the, the Electoral College is its kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody understands it. And they just want to push it out the door. <laughs> My dad used to think that uh, the president was chosen by a bunch of college kids. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wouldn't that be a nightmare? (laughs) I I can understand your dad's concern (laughs) for this choice. Well, they call it the Electoral College. They do call it the Electoral College. college, And uh, I'm sure somewhere there's the explanation for that. I didn't dig that up because... I don't care why it's called that. I just know it is called that. (laughs) My interest is more in why, why, why did that become the implementation of electing our president? And why is it important to keep or is it important to keep? Are you waiting for my comment? I'm always waiting for your comments. Well, I think that the Electoral College was implemented because there were, um, well, especially a long time ago, but even so today, um, the East Coast, at that, you know, at the time this was implemented, um, had a, a huge amount of population, whereas other parts of the country, had 
some of them didn't have hardly any people there at all. Yeah. And certainly not that whatever count for, you know, an, enough. And so the, the president-elect would usually be one of the homeboys back east. Yes. Not someone they'd never heard of from... You know, the Ozarks or something. <laughs> well, we have to remember that when, when the Electoral College was put in place, we were still under the th- original 13 colonies. Okay. So, you know, it was, it was put in place at the time of the writing of the Constitution, which was in 1789. It was implemented. And so, you know, these are still the original 13. They hadn't expanded. But even at that time, there were more populous states and less populous states. You know, some states had more cities, and so they had a greater population. Other states were more farmland, so they had the smaller populations. And so it was a compromise, really. You know, um, it, I dug up a whole bunch of information, because that's what I do. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. <laughs> So the Constitutional Convention considered several methods for electing presidents. So it's not like they just got together and said, well, I heard about this one way. Let's do it this way just to annoy everybody 200 years from now. That that really wasn't their intention. Really? <laughs> I know. Shocker, right? But so one idea was to have the Congress choose the president, which I'm sure at the, at the time was considered kind of a good idea, but, you know, the electoral branch, or the electoral, woo, way out there, sorry, the executive branch and the Congress are supposed to be equal, right? All three branches of the government are equal. None is supposed to be more important than the others, well, can you imagine the, the power and the sway that Congress would hold over the president if Congress got to choose the president? Oh, yeah. I mean, think of it like we know um, Brexit is going on right, over right. in England, mm-hmm. and they keep putting pressure on Theresa May. And they can determine whether she continues to serve as prime minister or not because... She serves at the will of her party. Right. She serves at the will of parliament, really. Mm-hmm. Parliament can decide that they don't want her anymore, and they can kick her out of office. Well, that's exactly how it would be if Congress chose the president. Mm-hmm. So okay. we can see, just from our, our cousins across the pond there, that that could be not something we would prefer. I, I really don't want Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi deciding who is our president. Oh, absolutely. I mean, can you imagine Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Yeah, dark cloud indeed. Yeah. Dark cloud indeed. <laughs> absolutely. So that was not the chosen method. Thank you, Lord. So they also had an idea to have the state legislators select the president and they decided that that probably wasn't a good idea because then the 
president would be beholden to the state government, right? If the state governments got to choose who they wanted for president, then it might cause another imbalance there. Although, I don't know that the Electoral College was truly all that different in practice than the proposal of the states choosing the president. Um, And then another idea, which is what people are screaming for today, is to have the president elected by a direct popular vote. And it was rejected not because the framers thought that people were too dumb, although I think the framers were probably giving people way too much credit, um, but they understood the dangers of pure democracy. You know, these were learned men. These were people who, they weren't just country bumpkins. And although they weren't educated by today's standards necessarily, they were classically educated men. They studied. Even as adults, they continued to study. They were very intelligent. And so they understood places like Rome, which had been a pure democracy and devolved into dictatorship and eventually crumbled under its own weight and was destroyed. And so they knew that that was probably a dangerous path to take because pure democracy almost always, almost always results in mob rule followed by dictatorship. Okay. I mean, truly, you know, Caesar, Julius Caesar, right? Sure. Before Julius Caesar, Rome was a pure democracy, and then he took power. So you have to worry about the pure democracy. So finally, the Constitutional Convention proposed an indirect election of the president through a college of electors, and a college just meaning a group. It was a group of electors. And what they wanted was for states to choose their most, I don't know, most intelligent, most knowledgeable people to get together and really think out and choose who would be best to lead the country in the executive branch. You know, they knew that that was our face to the world. The president doesn't make the laws, no, but he implements them and he is in charge of foreign policy. So whoever they chose as president, they wanted to be somebody that the world would see as an intelligent choice, right? And so each state was allocated a number of electors equal to the number of its senators and representatives. And so it fluctuates depending on the census and how house seats are reallocated. But so every state gets their number of people in Congress as electors in the Electoral College, right? Seems simple enough. Sure. And the states got to choose how they determined their electors, except they couldn't be a member of Congress or an employee of the federal government. Those people are ineligible to be electors. They have to be people who are not beholden to the federal government in any way. 
basically. Makes sense. Yeah. And they also um, required them to cast, this is in, in the original, they required them to cast two votes for president, at least one of which had to be not from their state. Oh, okay. So you could you could cast a vote for, you know, the guy from your state, but your second vote had to be for somebody from somewhere else. So you couldn't stack the deck for your state. I see. Okay? And so the original way of doing it was you would cast two votes for president, and they would seal it in an envelope, send it off to the House of Representatives. They would open it up, and the vice president would, the current vice president, would read the, count the tally in front of the house, and then the top two vote-getters, the top vote-getter would be the president, second place would be vice president. Oh, the... Yeah. The the person running for president. Yes. So the top vote-getter would be president, the second place would be vice president, because remember, at the beginning, there were no political parties, you didn't have to worry about having a, a Republican president and a Democrat vice president because there were none of those. And so that was, you know, it seemed like a very simple way. And really, it works. It works even to this day, even though things have been tinkered with and are, the choices are made a little differently now. The fact that Every state's representation to choose the president is the same as their congressional representation. You know, it ensures that no one state can make the choice for the whole country. No two states can make the choice for the whole country. It allows for all the states to actually have a chance in affecting the election of our president. Well, that's good because California has about nine times the population of all the rest of the country, it and, seems. Well, and that's one of the complaints that gets put out because, you know, the, the House of Representatives is is tapped at a specific number. There cannot be more representation than that, even if our population is larger than that, right? And that's one of California's complaints is, their representation isn't actually equal because they have more people, but they're only allowed so many votes. Well, California also counts everybody in their population, and we know that California has a large population of illegals. And honestly, illegals should not be choosing our president. Personal opinion, but I believe I'm right. (laughs) So, you know, it, it has its ups and downs. Then you have states like, Wyoming, who have three votes in the Electoral College because they have two senators, and just like every state, they're guaranteed one person in the House of Representatives at the very least. So they have three votes. Well, their three votes should count for something. Right, right. You know, yeah, they're not big, but they get to choose. They should get to choose. You know, every state should have a say because once again, people don't understand our country. 
Our country is not a democracy. Shocker. I know. <laughs> it drives me nuts. The news people, we're a democracy. No, we aren't. You know, the, the Congress people, we're a democracy. No, we aren't. Yes, we are a democratic form of government, which means that the people have a say in how they are governed, but we are a republic. We are a republic, which is a representative form of democracy, which means that we elect people to make decisions for us. Wow, amazing, right? It baffles me how truly uneducated the majority of our population is about what the Constitution actually says about our government. Well, and if you listen to the folks on the news, um, they, they, well, on a daily basis, they, they tout that this is a democracy. It's a democracy. One person, one vote. Yeah, and it's and it's really not. No, it's well, absolutely not. It's not at all a pure democracy. It's not. Well, there's never been a pure democracy that has ever survived. No, exactly, which is what the founding fathers knew. They were aware of that fact, which is why they specifically chose not to have a pure democracy. I have some quotes here from founding fathers. Alexander Hamilton, who they made a play about, so they love him right now, right? So he should have some bearing on the conversation. Oh, yeah. He said, real liberty is not found in the extremes of democracy, but in moderate governments. If we incline too much to democracy... We shall soon shoot into a monarchy or some other form of a dictatorship. Pretty smart guy. Thomas Jefferson, who is the epitome of intelligence, you know, he wrote our Declaration of Independence. Smart guy. He said, a democracy is nothing more than mob rule where 51% of the people may take away the rights of the other 49. You know, there's danger in a pure democracy. James Madison argued that democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been incompatible with personal security or the rights of property and have in general been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. These guys understood how these things worked. And John Adams, he said that democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. There you go. You know, if you want to take a modern example, look at Venezuela. All right. Venezuela is considered a democracy. They had direct election of their president. It was a popular vote election of their president. And they voted in a socialist who then became a dictator. 
And when he died, he passed it on to his buddy, who is also a dictator. And now they've gone from being this vibrant, healthy, rich nation to a place where people eat their pets because they're starving to death. That is what pure democracy does because it it goes with the whims of the people. Well, if you had intelligent people, it might be one thing. Well, but the thing is, even intelligent people, even intelligent people can be led astray if the information they're given That's true. is that all is true. one-sided. You know, you have to you have to really realize that our media has a huge impact on what people believe and understand about our country. You know, there are people who are convinced, convinced that Trump colluded with Russia, even though Mueller has stated there is no evidence that Trump or anybody associated with his campaign or anybody associated with him colluded with Russia. And yet you still have people, even in our Congress, insisting that there is evidence of collusion. And of course, those are the people that the media are giving voice to because it fits their narrative. Right. There's only uh, one American news that I know of that just gives you the facts and shuts up about it. Yeah. I mean, they have like two hours a week or two hours uh, a day in, in commentaries yeah, at the, in the evening. But when they but when they report the news, it's the news. They, they report the news and let you decide. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's not slanted. It's not biased. They don't throw their opinion in on top of it, which is what you're seeing more and more and more in our news, so-called media today. Well, that's all it is anymore. They, it's a, it's opinion. It's yeah, it's, it's their view of to, the news. And it's slanted. Exactly. To it's whatever. their view of it, not. The simple facts of the matter. Right. You know, so in a pure democracy, it's very easy to use the media to sway people to vote the way you want them to vote. You know, if there's any collusion, quite honestly, it's the news media colluding to change the narrative, to enact a certain way of thinking that they want. That's how the, the collusion occurs is with the news sources and the education sources, that's where people get led astray because you only know what you're taught and what you hear or read. Well, people aren't encouraged to read history anymore. You know, history is old, dead white people. Who cares about them? Well, we just heard from four old, dead white men how dangerous a pure democracy is. You know, and it wasn't because they wanted to oppress people. It's because they understood how it worked. They studied it. They learned. They took creating this country very seriously. It wasn't just a whim. They didn't just get together and pull names out of a hat and say, okay, you three are going to go make us a country. You know? No, they chose their best and their brightest. And they studied and they studied and they, they knew what they were talking about. 
You know, our founders, they didn't believe that people have a right to enact whatever laws the majority want, but rather that people have a right to enact whatever laws the people as a whole think are just. They have a higher aspiration for what our country is supposed to be. And they knew that too often people get passionate about things that aren't necessarily the best for everyone. And really in a, in a, in any country and especially in a Republic, it's what's best for everyone. And so we have to understand that, that the choice of having an electoral college, it was not made as a way to oppress people. It was not made as a way to, I don't know, sway power to certain areas, which is, it's ridiculous the way they think that certain, that it was chosen that way because it, it benefited certain places over others. Well, Here's the thing. All 13 colonies had to agree on whether this was the way it was done or not. And they may not have totally agreed on the method, but they agreed that it was the best way to ensure that every state had a fair say in the federal government. Because we have to remember the country that they founded is not the country we are today. That's true. They founded a country where the federal government was the least powerful entity in the whole deal. You know, they didn't want the federal government to be strong. Right. I think Hamilton said that, uh, that, um, the government is is kind of a necessary evil at best. <laughs> yeah. It was basically meant to ensure that that there could be a collective bargaining with other countries for trade. Right. You know, right. to ensure that we had fair trade agreements with other nations, to ensure that the states didn't bicker among themselves, you know, to give them a way of of solving differences between states and just ensuring that there was a way for the states to work together. But you have to realize that the more we try to tinker with the government they gave us, the more of a behemoth the federal government becomes. And the more intrusive it is, the more dominating it is, and the less freedom we end up with. Instead of uh, the government or the, the federal government being the, the smallest part of government, uh, people, for some reason, think they need a king. They want the, they want the government to solve their problems. Well, yeah, and because... that is totally against what, well, you know, the, what the founding fathers... It's easier to be told what to do than to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, you might have to think, gee. Oh, and then you might be wrong. <laughs> you know, whereas if somebody else tells you what to do and it gets screwed up, it's their fault. 
It's not well, your fault. It's not your fault that you have a crappy country. It's it's their fault because they made you make bad decisions. <laughs> I mean, really, honestly, that's how people think. Yeah, that's how people ended up with kings. They wanted somebody to to uh, take care of their little issues. Yeah. But they took care of every issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not always the way you wanted, right? That's right. Not always the way that benefited anybody but themselves. That's the problem. You know, but we look at our, our Constitution. We no longer have senators who serve at the will of the state which was the intention of the founding fathers. The founding fathers wanted the House of Representatives to represent the people and the Senate to represent the states. And they felt that that would make sure that the Senate was more deliberative, was less inclined to be swayed by the whims of the populace, and that they would ensure that there were better decisions made. And then the 17th Amendment came along, and instead now we have direct popular vote that determines senators. Well, is the Senate any better functioning now than it was then? No. Does it function any better than the House of Representatives? No, and in fact, the elections, no. <laughs> the elections are about as crooked as they come to. Look at the... Look at the big fights that they have. <laughs> well, know. it's, you know, we've, we've taken a, a system of government that was really well thought out, was meant to run very smoothly, was meant to really represent both the people and the states, and was meant to be the least intrusive part of our lives. And we've completely flipped it upside down. Mm -hmm. It's now the most intrusive part of our lives. It now goes willy-nilly with every whim of the people. The states are really not represented at all. The states don't have a voice in our federal government. It's all the will of the people, which is never how it was meant to be. And the will of the people is more and more becoming this polarized screaming match between two completely opposite set of ideals. And so you have to worry what will happen if efforts like this national popular vote effort, which I truly believe is unconstitutional because... What's happening is states are, are passing laws saying that their electoral votes will go to whoever wins the national popular vote. Well, the national popular vote isn't a thing. It was never meant to be a thing. And in the beginning, there was no popular vote at all for president. The people didn't elect the president in the beginning. The states did. Many states never even held a presidential election. And now we think that because California has decided on one person and New York has decided on that person, and, oh, hey, we're going to throw in Michigan for good measure or 
Illinois, because Chicago is a big city. We're going to throw all those in. And oh, look, they outnumber the rest of the, the rest of the country. So two states and a couple of large cities will determine who runs our country for the entire rest of us. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want New York City determining who runs my country because I think there are a bunch of wackos there. I agree. I, I have yet to see something come out of New York City in the last 20 years that I would want to touch with a 10-foot pole. You know, I, I really am concerned for our country. I truly have angst in what is going to occur after President Trump. Yeah, it's going to be really scary. It is. It's, it's getting that way right now. I mean, you know, it is right now. And uh, a lot of uncertainty because uh, there's this, there seems to be this gigantic push for socialism. Well, my goodness, it's only been 80 years. It's only been 80 years. Can't people remember back that far? Well, it hasn't even been 80 years. I mean, 80 years since the Nazis, yeah. But look at Russia, the USSR. That was just in the 80s when that finally came tumbling no, down. That's true. That is true. You know, and, and we don't even have to look that far back. Just look south. Look at Venezuela. You can't tell me that they didn't fully implement socialism. And that's the thing that's always said, oh, well, they didn't, they didn't implement it our way. Well, tell me, how is your way going to be less destructive than the way it's implemented currently? Nobody can ever tell me that. Nobody can ever tell me how their way is going to preserve my freedom and not destroy my country. Having a dictator will never do that. It will never do that. And I don't care what they say. There is no such thing as democratic socialism. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? Because um, all socialism starts out as democratic socialism. That's right. And it takes about 10 minutes for it to become full-blown dictatorship. Mm-hmm. You know, when they, when they decide what, what freedoms we get to keep. That's what they're doing now. Well, they're definitely trying to do that now. And, and they erode our freedoms at every opportunity. Except the freedoms they, they seem to uh, push for are, are these, I mean, things that people never even thought of doing. Well, they, they've <laughs> you know, come up with rights yeah. that they apparently have pulled out of thin air because 10 minutes ago that wasn't a right. <laughs> you know, rights are pretty universal and, and eternal, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden this is a right. You have a right to health care. Um, yeah, no. if you pay for it. Yeah, you have a right to, to access it if you pay for it. Or if, you're, <laughs> or if you're disabled. I mean, the country, you know, has, has funds for that too, you know, to, to help people. Uh, they, the government is not 
obligated to do that. No, the, but see, that's the thing. You know, they start they start making choices for you. Oh well, well, we'll determine your health care because we want to ensure that everybody has access to health care. So we're gonna make the government in charge of health care. You know, there's an old saying: just be thankful you're, at least in the United States, be thankful you're not getting all the government you're paying for. Oh, isn't that the truth? You know, we are fairly close to um, a reservation, Native American reservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have the Indian health system, mm-hmm. which is a government-run health care system. And everyone will tell you that you better pray that you get sick at the very beginning of the fiscal year. Because if you get sick at the end, you aren't getting anything. No, there's no money left. There's no money left. Ah. There's no money left. A lot of times, they're, you hear it all the time where their emergency rooms are shut down. Can you imagine having to... I mean, these are people who maybe live clear over towards the middle of the state. And the nearest open emergency room is in Rapid City, which is hours away. Wow. Because the Indian health systems are so out of money at that point that they've closed their emergencies. Wow. I wasn't even aware of that. It's insane. You know, and, the, and then we think of the VA. So then, yeah. And well, so how do, you know, I, I mean, how do the natives and the, the um, you know, the military and all that, how do they get, you know, I mean, there's only so much money, obviously, but. They just have to hope that they're high enough up on the, the list of people, you know, that their their number is towards the beginning wow. so that they can get care. And that's what they want for the whole country, that type of system. And once they determine health care, well, gee, then they get to determine everything because if you aren't healthy, it affects their bottom line. So now they have a say in how you live your life because it's in their interest that you be healthy. I see. And see, all of this stems from the same push that is trying to get rid of the Electoral College. I see how this is coming back around. Yeah, all of these these ideas come from the same place. They want more control over our government so our government has more control over us they are the quote unquote elites who will make all these great decisions for us sure i mean just ask alexandria ocasio-cortez because she's going to ban cows because farts cow farts are ruining our climate wow she's probably never been on a farm Probably never seen a cow that wasn't dead on a plate already. But, you know, I I, I saw a thing the other day that just, it was like, oh, really no kidding. Said in the 1800s, early 1800s, there were approximately 60 million bison, American bison, in North America. Currently, there's roughly 9 million dairy cows and approximately 31 million beef cattle in North America right now. 
So there's approximately 10 million fewer, right? Fewer cattle than there were bison in the 1800s. If those bison didn't destroy the climate of our world with their millions of cow farts, bison farts, same thing, how are today's cattle going to destroy it when there's fewer of them? I mean, our our cow farts more, more potent. <laughs> I, you know, it makes you wonder, how did they come up with this? Is this really science or is it that science like you do at the science fair in middle school? <laughs> you know, really? Wow. <laughs> but these are the people that want to make our decisions for us. They want to choose whether we get a doctor's visit or not. They want to choose whether we can own a car or not. They certainly want to choose that we don't get to own a gun. And so right now, their way of implementing that is to try to destroy the Electoral College. Wow. Well, I think that's going to kind of wrap up our our time here. Um, but wow. Wow, this is... Uh, this has really been informative. Um, the Electoral College, yeah. So, so it really isn't a bunch of college kids. <laughs> we get to do. And praise the Lord for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for for all this information, and uh, and it's been great to uh, share another podcast with everyone. And so. Everyone take care until next week. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this edition of our podcast, Church and State. We hope you'll be joining us again soon. Until next time, keep keeping the faith.